Good evening, everyone. Hello out there. Welcome to the fifth and final radio play of the IOU Theater's 2014 summer stock season. As many of you may have noticed, today is December 7th. It's Pearl Harbor Day. So we've extended the summer season of IOU Theater by popular demand to our grand finale this evening, where we're very excited to uh, present to you War of the Worlds, originally written by H.G. Wells in 1898 about uh, Martians who were running out of resources, including quite perhaps water, which they use to multiply by. And uh, we have adapted that radio play that was written by Howard Koch and directed by Orson Welles to great fracas and infamy in 1938 for 2014 uh, to be relative to spaces and places in the Owens Valley and Los Angeles. And I'd really like to thank John Klusmeyer for this fantastic adaptation. And uh, also let you know a little bit tonight about the sound effects that you're going to be hearing. Uh, the sound effects have all been extracted from Requiem for Water, which is Lauren Bond in the Metabolic Studio Sonic Division artwork at the Pittsburgh Plate Glass Factory. So the sounds that you will be hearing tonight have been sourced and extracted and will be replayed tonight. So it is the Owens Dry Lake bed playing itself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on kppglive.com and also on 89.9 FM in the Owens Valley. So we're really excited tonight. We have all of the Metabolic Studio employees from Los Angeles here in town. So let's put your hand up if you're from Metabolic. <laughs> They've all come out for the grand finale. We also have guests here from London. And we have people listening in on the World Wide Web from Sao Paulo, some of our former IOU players, as well as Belize and further afield. So without further ado, we thank you all. We thank Kent Ramlos and the Double L for hosting the IOU Theater radio play series, Lauren Bond in the Metabolic Studio for producing and presenting them. And without further ado, we bring you IOU Theater Live in five, four, three, two, one. You are listening to KPPG Live at 89.9 FM in the Owens Valley, brought to you by Metabolic Studio. The IOU Theater of Lone Pine, California, broadcast from the Owens Lake Begone at the historic Double L Saloon. For 100 years, Owens Valley has been tapped to make the city of Los Angeles possible. From LA to the Owens Valley, we know we owe you. As an act of reconciliation from LA, the IOU Theater joins the IOU Garden as a community resource center, growing on DWT land since 2011. The IOU Garden features Owens Dry Lake Bread, turning dry lake dust into stoves into loaves. Stop by the IOU Garden and sign up for your bread shares today. The Metabolic Soil Project, turning capital into dirt since 2010. We spread the best dirt all around the valley, from Melancha to Mustang Mesa. 
a locally grown farmer's market on alternating Fridays, 100 conversations about water series, leaking the latest news on water, issues in the valley and beyond. IOU Theater is powered by jitters from IOU Espresso, served in the IOU Garden before every show. And now we bring you tonight's program, War of the Worlds. The KPPG Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present you the IOU Theatre on air in a radio play by Howard Coach, suggested by the H.G. Wells novel The War of the Worlds. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the IOU Theatre and the star of this broadcast, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 21st century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and it is mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply at a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people were to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small spinning fragment of solar driftwood which, by chance of design, man has inhabited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that, to our minds, as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In the 14th year of the 21st century came the great disillusionment. It was near the start of December. Business was better. The several international scares were winding down Sales were picking up. On this particular evening, December 7th, the Arbitron rating service estimated that 13 million people were listening in on radios. For the next 24 hours, not much change in temperature. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over the Pacific Northwest, causing a low pressure area to move down rather rapidly over the West Coast bringing a forecast of rain accompanied by winds of light gale force. Maximum temperature, 66. Minimum, 48. This weather report comes to you from the Government Weather Bureau. We now take you back to the KPPG Live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're broadcasting from the Double L in Lone Pine, California. Tonight we bring you the easy listening music of Raymond Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of easily listening music to bring you a special bulletin from CNN News. At 20 minutes before 8 Pacific time, Professor Farrell of the Griffith Park Observatory in Los Angeles reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving towards the Earth with enormous velocity. Our local deep space expert, Professor Pearson, 
of the Caltech Owens Valley Radio Observatory outside of Big Pine confirms Farrell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to our regular program. Now a tune that never loses favor, the ever popular Stardust. Sometimes I wonder why I spend a lonely night dreaming of a song. The melody haunts my reverie. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of this occurrence, we have arranged an interview with local noted astronomer, Professor Pearson, who will give us his views on the event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Owens Valley Radio Observatory outside of Big Pine. Until then, we return you to more music. Tell us his fairy tale of paradise where roses grew. Though I dream in vain. We are now ready to take you to the Caltech Owens Valley Radio Observatory, where Carl Phillips, our commentator, will interview Professor Richard Pearson, famous astronomer. We take you now to Big Pine. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Carl Phillips speaking to you from Building 12, which is in the control room at the Owens Valley Radio Observatory. I am standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for the glow of large computer screens that record in real time the findings of the observatory's interstellar radio telescopes. Professor Pearson stands directly behind me, peering into the various computer screens. I ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during any delay that may arise throughout our interview. Besides his ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by telephone, text messages, or other communications. During this period, he is in constant contact with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? <clears throat> At any time, Mr. Phillips. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience, audience exactly how you observe on the planet Mars? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Phillips. A red disk swimming in a blue sea, transverse stripes across the disk. Quite distinct now because Mars happens to be at the point nearest Earth, or in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Well, <laughs> not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Phillips, although that's the popular conjecture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the results of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced, as a scientist, that living intelligence, as we know it, does not exist on Mars? I'd say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, 
how do you account for those gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Well, Mr. Phillips, I, I cannot account for it. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. <laughs> well, that seems a safe enough distance. Thank you. Just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, someone has just handed Professor Pearson an email. While he reads it, let me remind you that we are speaking to you from the Owens Valley Radio Observatory, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer, Professor Pearson. One moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me an email which he has just received. Professor, may I read the email to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you an emergency alert address to Professor Jones from Dr. Lucy Adams of the California Office of the United States Geological Survey. 9.15 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 10 miles of Independence, California. Please investigate. Professor Pearson, could this occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars? Well, hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, for the past 10 minutes, we have been speaking to you from the Owens Valley Radio Observatory outside of Big Pine, bringing you a special interview with Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We are returning you now to our Lone Pine studio. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from CNN News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morse of McGill University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a breaking news alert posted on the Los Angeles Times website. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a ranch in the neighborhood of Manzanar National Historic Site on Highway 395 between Independence and Lone Pine. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Bishop. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene and will have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give you a word description as soon as he can reach there from Big Pine. In the meantime, we take you back to the sounds of KPPG Live. We take you now to the Owens Valley. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again. 
calling in an urgent news bulletin while traveling from Big Pine toward the unknown object that has apparently fallen out of the sky onto an empty pasture leased by the Kemp Ranch, halfway between Lone Pine and Independence. Homeland Security confirmed via an emergency broadcast system text message that, based on initial law enforcement assessments, the explosion felt this evening was not, I repeat, was not an act of terrorism aimed at the Los Angeles Aqueduct or Manzanar National Historic Site on this Pearl Harbor Day. Professor Pearson and myself are nearing the dramatic scene of the what initially has been called a meteor strike. Haven't made the drive from Big Pine. We are pulling up on the scene. Located a few miles south of the Manzanar Historical Site on Highway 395, just below the Alabama gates, which are part of the Los Angeles aqueduct system. Well, I, I, I hardly know where to begin. To print for you a word picture of the strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a modern Arabian night. Well, I just got here. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it. Yes, I guess that's the, the thing directly in front of me, half buried in a vast pit. It must have struck with terrific force. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree it must have struck on its way down. What I can see of the, the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor, at least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. It has a diameter of, what would you say? Professor Pearson. Uh, what's that? What would you say? What is the diameter? Uh, about 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish white. Curious spectators have left their cars on Highway 395 and are now pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the California Highway Patrol to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision, taking photos with their cell phones and no doubt posting or texting images of this fantastic scene to friends and family. Excuse me, would you please mind standing to one side, please? One side there, one side. While the CHP officers are pushing the crowd back, here's Miss Wilmoth who posted some of the first photos of the crash landing. She may have something interesting facts to add. Ms. Wilmoth, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in so close to the highway? Step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ms. Wilmoth. Well, I pulled off the highway to text my husband and was listening to the radio. Closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Louder, please, and closer. Yes, sir. I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half drowsing. And yes, half yes, Miss Wilmoth, and then what happened? As I was saying, I was listening to the radio kind of halfway. Yes, Miss Wilmoth. And then you saw something? Not first off. I heard something. And what did you hear? 
a hissing sound like this. Kind of like a 4th of July rocket. Yes, and then what? Turned my head out the window and would have swore I was to sleep and dreaming. Then what? I seen a kind of greenish streak and then zingle. Something smacked the ground, rattled the window and shook me while I was in my seat. Sort of lucky I still had my seatbelt on. Well, were you frightened, Miss Wilmoth? Well, I, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I, I was kind of riled. Thank you, Miss Wilmoth. Thank you. Want me to tell you some more? No, no, that's quite all right. That's plenty. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Miss Wilmoth, one of the first eyewitnesses on the scene where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked along Highway 395 and on nearby dirt roads. Police are trying to rope off the roadway leading to the crash site, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. Cars' headlights throw an enormous spot on the pit where the object's half buried. Some of the more daring souls are now venturing near the edge of the cameras and cell phones to take photos of this extraordinary sight. Their silhouettes are standing out against the metal sheen. One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a CHP officer. The officer wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but now it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen. Do you hear it? It's a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll move the microphone nearer. Now, we're not more than 25 feet away. Can you hear it now? Oh, Professor Pearson. Uh, yes, Mr. Phillips. Can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly the unequal cooling of its surface. I see. Do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? Well, I, I don't know what to think. The metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial, uh, not found on this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in the meteorite. This thing is smooth and, as you can see, of cylindrical shape. Just a minute. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. This end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw. The thing must be hollow. She's moving. Look, the darn thing's unscrewing. Keep back, I say. Keep back, I tell you. Maybe there's men in it trying to escape. It's red hot. They'll burn to a crisp. Keep back there. Keep those idiots back. Look out there, stand back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. Wait a minute, someone's 
crawling out of the hollow top. Someone or something. I can see peering out of that black hole two luminous discs. Are they eyes? It might be a face. It might be. Good heavens! Something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another. They look like tentacles to me. There, I can see the thing's body. It's large, large as a bear, and it glistens like wet leather. But that face, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. The eyes are black and gleam like a serpent. The mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from its grimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate. The monster, or whatever it is, can hardly move. It seems weighted down by, possibly by gravity or something. The thing's rising up. The crowd is falling back now. They've seen plenty. This is the most extraordinary experience. I can't find words. I'll, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop at the stretching until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. We are bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening alongside Highway 395 at the Alabama Gates in California Owens Valley. We now return you to Carl Phillips at the Alabama Gates. Ladies and gentlemen, am I on? Ladies and gentlemen, here I am on the high ground between highway lanes. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. More California Highway Patrol cars and officers have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit, about 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain is conferring with someone. We can't quite see who. Oh yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now they've parted. The professor moves around one side, studying the object, while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. A flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait! Something's happening! A, a hump shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against the mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right into the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Good Lord, they're turning into flame. Ah! Now the whole field's caught on fire. The woods. Uh, 
ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from the Alabama gates. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return you to that point at our earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we just saw a Twitter feed from San Diego, California. Professor Eidelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. Hmm. We now continue with our musical programming. gentlemen I have best best I have excuse me rather I have just been alerted to a post on the Inyo County Sheriff's Department Facebook page the message is from the California Highway Patrol um, just a moment at least 40 people including six state troopers lie dead in a field and along the highway at the Alabama gates this is approximately halfway between Lone Pine and Independence California um, their bodies are burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you hear will be that of Vice Admiral Montgomery Smith, commander of the China Lake Naval Weapons Station. I have been requested by California Governor Jerry Brown to place Inyo County under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by the state or military authorities. Four companies of the US Marines are proceeding from China Lake and Camp Pendleton and will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to Vice Admiral Montgomery Smith, commander of the China Lake Naval Weapons Station. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at the Alabama gates are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back into their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. Combined fire departments from Lone Pine, Cal Fire, and Independence are fighting the flames which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Alabama Gates but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest possible moment. In the meantime, we take you just, I'm um, sorry, just one moment, please. Is that, is that what I'm supposed to say? La ladies and gentlemen, I have just been informed that we have finally established communication with an eyewitness of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at the Alabama Gates Gatehouse, where he has established an emergency observation post. As a scientist, he will give you his explanation of the calamity. The next voice you hear will be that of Professor Pearson. Professor Pearson? Of the creatures at the rocket cylinder at the Alabama Gates, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. Of their destructive instrument, I 
might venture some conjectural explanation. For want of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that in some way they're able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition, much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. And that is my conjecture on the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a text message from the local hospital. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified by doctors at Southern Inyo Hospital. Now, here's another update from Washington, D.C. The Office of the Director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the military headquarters outside the Alabama gates. Here's an update posted on the CAL FIRE website. The fires at the Alabama gates and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit and no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special statement from Ms. Harriet McDonald, Vice President in Charge of Radio Operations. We have received a request from the military at Alabama Gates to place at their disposal our entire broadcasting facility. In view of the gravity of the situation and believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the military officials at Alabama Gates. We take you now to the field headquarters of the military force in place at the Alabama Gates, Owens Valley, California. This is Captain Lanson of the Signal Corps attached to the Marine Detachment now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Alabama Gates. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, is surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry. Without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if every cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. The things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pit. I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their khaki uniforms crossing back and forth and back and forth in front of the lights. It looks almost like a real war. While there appears to be some slight smoke in the remaining cottonwood trees bordering the Owens River, but it's probably just a fire started by campers. Well, we ought to see some action soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. 
a quick thrust, and it will all be over. Now, wait a minute. I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow. Now, the troops are on the edge of the highway. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. Wait, wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Looks like solid metal. Kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. Why, it's standing on legs. Actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold on! Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observation of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Owens Valley ranch lands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at the Alabama Gates has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by any army in, in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine from the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Independence to Lone Pine, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster easily moved over the top of the Sierra to wreak havoc on the Central Valley and is now in control of the middle section of California and has effectively cut its state through its center. Railway tracks and freeways are torn and in tatters. Highways to the north, south and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable con to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives would have swelled Los Angeles, Fresno, and even Reno and Tahoe to twice their normal population. At this time, martial law prevails through the middle of California. We now take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency, the Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area, and we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, Placing our faith in God, we must continue the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with a nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Phone calls. 
text messages, Instagram photos, emails, tweets, and social media too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We are informed that the central portion of California is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here's a breaking news update posted on the LA Times website. Cables received from English, French, German and scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. Majority voice opinion that enemy will be reinforced by additional rocket machines. Attempts made to locate Professor Pearson at Big Pine, who has observed Martians at close range. It's feared he was lost in the recent battle. Edwards Air Force Base, California. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops moving south towards Mojave with population fleeing ahead of them. Heat ray not in use, although advancing at express train speed. Invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here's a bulletin from Ridgecrest, California. ATV riders have stumbled on a second cylinder, similar to the first embedded in the desert in Owens Valley. Marine field pieces are proceeding from China Lake Naval Weapons Station to blow up second invading unit before cylinder can be opened and fighting machine rigged. They're taking up position at the LA Aqueduct Siphon in Jawbone Canyon. Another bulletin from Air Edwards Air Force Base. Scouting planes report enemy machines now three in number, increasing speed southward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of the Owens Valley. Instagram photos show the machines east of San Diego within 10 miles of the Pacific Ocean. Here's an emergency text message from Nellis Air Force Base, Las Vegas, Nevada. Fleet of Air Force bombers carrying heavy explosives flying north in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we've established cell phone connection with the artillery line to give you direct reports of the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery, located in Jawbone Canyon. Range, 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection, 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire! Went 140 yards to the right, sir. Shift range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire! A hit, sir. We got the tripod of one of them. They've stopped. The others are trying to repair it. Quick, get the range. Shift 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. 27 degrees. Fire! the shell land, sir. They're letting off a smoke. What is it? A black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Lying close to the ground. It's moving fast. Put on gas mask. Get ready to shift 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire! Still can't see, sir. The smoke's coming nearer. Get 
Get the rain. Get the rain. <coughs> 23 meters. <laughs> 23 meters. <laughs> Twenty-two degrees. <laughs> Air Force bomber, we eight forty-three off Bakersfield, California. Lieutenant Hoyt, commanding eight bombers, reporting to Commander Fairfax, Edwards Air Force Base. This is Hoyt. Reporting to Commander Fairfax. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Owens Valley Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine already crippled. Believe hit by shell from Army gun in Jabo Canyon. Guns now appear silent. Heavy black fog hanging close to the earth with extreme density. Nature unknown. No sign of heat break. Enemy now turns south on Highway 395 toward Mojave. Evident objective is Los Angeles. They're pushing down a DWP high-tension power station. Now the Type 5 machines are attacking the huge wind turbines in their path. Wind turbines are about as tall as the alien machines, but they're knocking them over like turbines, like they were stick toys. Machines are close together now, ready to attack. Plane circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. Giant arm raised. Green flash. They're spraying us with flame. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them, clean it all. We're diving on the first one. Now the engine's gone. Eight. This is Bakersfield, California, calling Edwards Air Force Base. This is Bakersfield, California, calling Edwards Air Force Base. Come in, please. This is Edwards Air Force Base. Go ahead. Eight bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over California City. All bombers incapacitated by heat ray. All crashed. One enemy, enemy machine destroyed. Enemy now discharging heavy black smoke in direction of... This is Silmar, California. This is Silmar, California. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring down the 14 freeway reaches Hanson Dam. Gas mask useless. Urge population to move into open spaces. Automobiles use route 72324. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over the San Fernando Valley. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. Calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R, coming back at 2X2L. How's reception? How's reception? K, please. Where are you? 8X3R. What's the matter? Where are you? 
from the roof of the Metabolic Studio in downtown Los Angeles. Um, I, I, I'm speaking from the roof of the Metabolic Studio in Los Angeles, California. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. <laughs> Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the south. The five freeway is still kept open to all vehicles, but avoid the 15 north to Las Vegas. It's hopelessly jammed. All communication with Malibu and beach cities closed 10 minutes ago. Nothing is working except text messages. Text messages. What good are they now? We have no more defenses. Our army wiped out, artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end though. People are holding service in the cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels. Now I'm looking down the port of Los Angeles Harbor. All manner of boats overloaded with fleeing population pulling out from docks. Streets are all jammed, noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in the city. Wait a minute. Enemy is now inside above the Verdugo Mountains. Five, five great machines. First one is walking over the concrete LA River Channel. I can see it from here, crossing the LA River Channel like a man stepping over a ditch. Another brought an emergency broadcast system. Text messages just came through. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside San Francisco, one in Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento. They seem to be timed and spaced. Now the first machine reaches downtown. He stands watching, looking over the city. His steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They look like a cluster of competing downtown skyscrapers. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out. Black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running west towards the Pacific Ocean. Thousands of them dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached downtown. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing Dodger Stadium. Chinatown Broadway. Spring Street 100 yards away. It's 50 feet. <laughs> 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. 2X2L calling CQ. Los Angeles. Isn't anyone on the air? Isn't there? Anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone? 2X2L. Mm. Yo, 
You're listening to KPPG Live, Lone Pine at 89.9 FM, featuring the IOU Theatre adaptation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre on air, and an original dramatisation of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. set down these notes on paper, I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in this empty house near the Alabama gates, a small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life, a life that has no continuity with the present furtive existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hands, my torn shoes, my tattered clothes, and I try to connect them with the professor who lives at Pasadena and who on the night of December 7th glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife, my colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my world, where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? writing down my daily life, I tell myself I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little black book that was meant to record the movements of the stars. But to write, I must live. To live, I must eat. I find moldy bread in the kitchen, an orange not too spoiled to swallow. I keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. Smoke still holds the house in its black coil. But at length, there's a hissing sound, and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as his huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. Morning. Sun streams in the window. Black cloud of gas is lifted. Scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm has passed over them. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road. No traffic. Here and there, a wrecked car, baggaged overturned, a blackened skeleton. I push on south. For some reason, I, <laughs> I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I've seen the Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. For two days, I wander in a vague, southerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I, I notice a living creature small red squirrel in an oak tree. 
I stare at him in wonder. <laughs> he stares back at me. I believe at that moment the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. I push on south. I find dead cows in a brackish field. Beyond that, the charred ruins of a dairy. The silo remains standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse deserted by the sea. Astride the silo perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. <laughs> north. The next day I came to a city vaguely familiar in its contours, yet its buildings extremely dwarfed and leveled off as if a giant hand had sliced off its highest towers with a capricious sweep. I reached the outskirts. I found Palmdale undemolished but humbled by some whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an, an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something, something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it and it it rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where'd you come from? I... I come from many places. A long time ago from the Caltech Owens Valley Radio Observatory. Caltech Radio Observatory, huh? That's near Alabama Gates. Yes. Alabama Gates. <laughs> yeah. There's no food here. This is my country. All this into town down to the L.A. River. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I... I don't know. I guess I'm looking for... for people or... Have you seen any... Martians? Nah. They've gone over to Beverly Hills. At night, the sky's alive with our lights, just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't even see them. Well, then, it's all over with humanity. Stranger, <laughs> it's still you and I, two of us left. They've got themselves in solid. They've wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. We've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're left. Where were you? You're in uniform. Yeah, what's left of it? I was in the National Guard. That's good. There wasn't any war any more than there was war between men and ants. Yes, and we're eatable ants. I found that out. I've thought it all out. They'll begin catching us systematic-like, keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. But, but if that's so, what, what is there to live for? Life. That's what I want to live. Yeah, and so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either and tamed and fattened up like a cow. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going on, right under their feet. I got a plan. We men whose men are finished. We don't even know enough. We gotta learn plenty before we've got a chance. And we gotta live and 
keep free while we learn, you see? I thought it all out, you see? Hmm. Tell me the rest. Well, it isn't all of us who are made for wild beasts. That's what it's gotta be. That's why I watched you. All these little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff to them. They'd just run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running wild to catch their commuter train in the morning for fear they'd get canned if they did, didn't, and then they'd come run back at night afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. And on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. The marshes will be a godsend to those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. After a week or so, chasing around those thin fields with empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. And you've thought it all out, haven't you? You bet I have, and that isn't all. These marshes will make pets of some of them, train them to do tricks. Who knows? Get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. And some, maybe just some, they'll train to hunt us. No, 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 that's impossible. No human being will. Yes, they will. There's men who'll do it gladly. One of them ever comes after me, why? Yeah, in the meantime, you and I and others like us. <laughs> Where are we to live when the Martians own the Earth? You've got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers. Under Los Angeles are miles and miles of them. The main ones are big enough for anybody. Then they're cellars, vaults. Underground storerooms, storm drains, subways. You begin to see, huh? We'll get a bunch of strong men together. No weak ones, they're rubbish. They're out. And you meant me to go? Well, I gave you a chance, didn't I? Well, we won't quarrel about that. Go on. We've got to make safe places for us to stay and see. All the books we can. Science books. That's where men like you come in, you see? We'll raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. It may not be so much we had to learn before. Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays, right and left. And not a Martian in them. Not a Martian in them. But men, men who have learned the way how, may not even be in our time. Gee, imagine how one of them lovely things with its heat ray wide and free. We'd turn it on, Martians. We'd turn it on, men. We'd bring everybody down to their knees. And that's your plan? You, you and me, and a few more of us, We'd own the world! I... I see. Say, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Goodbye, stranger.
After parting with the stranger, I came at last to the grapevine. I traveled that silent highway, anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the mountains. Cautiously, I came out of the tunnel and made my way up the 110 freeway. I reached Cesar Chavez, and there again were black powder and several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I wandered up through Grand and Hope Streets. I stood alone on Pershing Square. I caught sight of a lean dog running down 7th Street with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. He made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. I walked up Broadway in the direction of that strange powder past silent shop windows displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks. Past the Orpheum Theater, silent, dark. Near Staples Center, I noticed models of 2015 Tesla cars in showrooms facing empty streets. From the top of the U.S. Bank Tower, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. I hurried on. Suddenly, I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in MacArthur Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. Insane idea. I rushed recklessly across Wilshire Boulevard and into the park, climbing a small hill above the pond at Alvarado Street. And from there, I could see, standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cowls empty, their great steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground, and there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in the laboratories, it was found that they were killed by millions of little bursts of invisible microwaves. No. The microwaves were not shot by Martians or airplanes or Marines. They were little bursts of energy that transmit text messages. It seems the frequency eventually scrambled the machine circuits which electrocuted the Martians and burned out their machines. <laughs> Hard to believe, but texts and tweets have saved mankind from total annihilation. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general perception that through all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further. Dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastness of sidereal space. But that is a remote dream. It may be that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve. To them, and not to us, is the future ordained, perhaps. Strange, it now seems, to sit in my peaceful study at Caltech, writing down this last chapter of the record begun at a stretch of pasture at the Alabama gates. 
Strange to see from my window the university spires dim and blue through an April haze. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green where the new spring grass heals the last blackened scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it, bright and clean cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that last great day. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the scary little Sunday evening entertainment it was intended to be. The Mercury Theatre's, and now IOU Theatre's, own version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. But since we couldn't sneak into everyone's shrubbery and provide individual frights, we did the next best thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the Double L Saloon in Lone Pine. You'll be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It was the IOU Theater. Tonight's KPBG Live and its affiliated station, Coast to Coast, have brought you The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, the fifth and final of its 2014 summer stock series of dramatic radio plays, featuring the Owens Valley content of the IU players and the musicians on the air. This is KPBG Live 89.9 FM. <laughs> Well, thank you. That was quite a deal. So, thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, I'm John Klusmeyer, the director of this little escapade. And it was a pretty easy deal. I just told these guys to talk louder and talk faster, and they did. So I would like to introduce you to our cast here, playing Orson Welles, Professor Pearson, and the commander. Max Rose, Phillips, the radio announcer and the stranger, was very strange, officer and operator two and five, Jim Shawcross, now with a bunch of parts, announcer one, policewoman, Vice Admiral Montgomery Smith, Gunner and Operator 4, Jude Greenberg. And the woman who died on the roof of the IU Theater as announcer 2, Captain Lansing, the Observer Operator 3, and the LA announcer, Jeannie Smith. The spectacular Miss Wilmoth, our eyewitness, announcer three, McDonald, the radio station boss, secretary of the interior, 
Operator one, Mary Winchester. And uh, I hacked around on the script with help from Rochelle Fab, so we were the script adapters, if you will. And on sound effects and Foley, which was an amazing bit of work there, um, that was Rochelle Fab in collaboration with the Metabolic Studios, Sonic Division, and PPG. So a big explosion for those folks. Um, Doug, yeah. And once again, we'd like to thank our hosts here at the Double L, Kent, and the crew. So tip your bartenders graciously here. Give them a little hand. And so this concludes our our, uh, our series. But a closing remark from. To give a real rousing applause to Rochelle Fab for an incredible six month run of summer theaters. <laughs> Thank you, Rochelle. And we'd like to thank all you folks who showed up at our four or five plays, and uh, we enjoyed doing them for you. They were big fun, and who knows, we might be back next year. Thank you.